Scripture reading today comes from Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 24. Joshua 2, 1 through 24. And the scripture reads, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I did not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up the roof and hid them with the, folk, with the stalks of flax that she had laid in, or, laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as, it, and as, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of, because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above on the earth beneath. Now then... Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly, kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you will let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. 
Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given us all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This is the word, this is the word of the Lord to us. Well, beloved, it's been called the oldest profession in the world. And I'm not sure how true that is. But what I do know is that it is a profession that plays prominently in the history of redemption. I would suggest to you this morning that you can't tell the story of the Bible, the history of God redeeming his people without the inclusion of some very important and prominent women of the night or some women with questionable character. Tamar, the woman at the well, Mary Magdalene, and none, beloved, as well-known and as prominent as the woman who is mentioned in our text this morning, indeed, our heroine, Rahab. Of all these women and others, all of these women in some way testify, testify, and contribute to the mission and the ministry that is our Lord Jesus Christ, to his life and to his work. Prostitution, while indeed is frowned upon in the scriptures, the Bible also seems to indicate to us that it is not the worst of sin. And yet, there seems to be, as you canvass the scriptures, there seems to be an emphasis upon the nature of this sin in relationship to redemption. God frequently uses this sin to illustrate and to magnify his grace. Like today, Many of the women in the times of the scriptures often found themselves in very vulnerable situations. And as such, they found themselves being taken advantage of, exploited, and abused oftentimes by the men in their lives find themselves in these compromising situations because of the abuse and the injustice of the men. Others, as is the case oftentimes, even today, others have chosen it as a means of making a living because they saw it as the only way of making an ends the means for themselves when there seem so few options available. 
Whatever the case, whatever the case, prostitution marked out women, these women, as unacceptable in religious society. It marked them out and it set them outside of polite and social acceptable community. Perhaps, perhaps this is why. Perhaps this is why God often uses this prostitution or, or sexual sin to illustrate the magnitude of his grace, to, to remind us of the greatness of his mercy. God desires, God desires it would seem that what society thinks the least of, God desires to give the most. What we often discard and dismiss, God often designs for his glory and his good. What the world abuses, God is pleased to use. I think Jesus made one of the most shocking statements he ever made in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 31. Perhaps it is one of the most shocking statements in all of redemptive history when Jesus was speaking to the religious elite of his day and he told them that tax collectors and prostitutes get into the kingdom before they would. Tax collectors and prostitutes get into the kingdom before they would. In other words, prostitutes get in before the priest. Prostitutes before priests? That's right. That's what Jesus said. And such is the case with Rahab this morning. As we look at her life and her redemption, the Bible tells us that on the eve of entering the land that God had promised to Joshua and the children of Israel, Joshua sent out two spies. He sent out two spies to do some reconnaissance work in the promised land and particularly in Jericho. Now, you might recall previously that Moses, as they went to spy out the promised land, Moses in a previous generation had sent 12 spies out, one of which was Joshua. Moses sent out 12 spies. Only two came back with a favorable and faithful report. And so I guess Joshua learned his lesson, and he understood that it didn't take 12, it only takes two. And so Joshua sends two because two is all that was necessary. And upon, upon entering Jericho on their mission, the Bible says that they stayed at the residence of a well-known prostitute named Rahab. Now, two questions immediately come to mind. At least they come to my mind, and therefore I'm going to share them with you. The first question that comes is, why send the spies at all? Hadn't God promised to give them the land? Hadn't God told Joshua that everywhere he set his foot was already his? Hadn't God told them that the land was theirs for the taking? Then why send the spies? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that Joshua sent the spies, beloved, because Joshua was a careful and thoughtful brother. 
And it reminds me, and it should remind you, too, that just because you trust the Lord doesn't mean that you don't make plans. Trusting the Lord does not negate our need to be making plans. Make your plans and trust the Lord that he will work out his will. The two are not mutually exclusive, beloved. God works through means. And oftentimes, he works through our plans just as he is pleased to work through our prayers. So he sends the spies because Joshua's careful and he's, a, and he's a planner. The second question that begs some type of answer, at least in my mind it does, is not only why send the spies, but when you send the spies, why do they stay at Rahab's house? Is that a question on your mind? It was a question on mine. Why stay at Rahab's house? Now, it's obvious, if you look at the text and you read through the account, it's obvious that God had been preparing Rahab to receive these men. But the question that I have is that did they know going before going to Jericho that they were going to be staying at the house and the lodging of a prostitute? I mean, can you imagine for me just a moment how that conversation would go? Honey, uh, Joshua is sending us on a mission to Jericho. Oh, how nice. How long are you going to be staying there? Uh, we'll be gone maybe two or three days. Oh, yeah, well, uh, where will you be staying? Uh, well, see what happened was, (laughs) no matter how much evangelism, no matter how much gospel is needed, I am confident that my wife is not interested in me in setting up lunch appointments at the Cheetah. (laughs) If you don't know what that is, that's good. I'm thinking, beloved, that maybe, maybe, just maybe, that when they get to to Jericho and they're looking around for a place to lodge and they see a sign that says Rahab's place. And they notice that there are men and women going in and out of this place all the time. And this is a popular hangout place. And they decide that this is a lodging place and they go into this lodging place and they come to realize that they have been brought into the place of prostitution. But it's a good place for them. Because being a well-known spot, it would suggest that this is not just her house, but this is her place of business. And as a place that is frequented by men and women throughout the town, it would be a good place to find information to have conversations, to learn what's really going on in Jericho. Perhaps that's the reason they lodge there. But I want to suggest to you in my mind 
that all those may be legitimate reasons, but the most important reason for them going to Rahab's place was because God was doing a new thing in the lives of his people. Because Jesus said, beloved, in John chapter 10 and verse 16, that I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Rahab belonged to the Lord. She was a sheep outside the fold. And God was sending these spies to bring her in. The reason they go to Rahab's place, beloved, is because God the shepherd was bringing in his sheep. And so we understand that the trip to Jericho was not about Israel. They didn't need to spy out the land. The trip to Jericho was about God. The trip to Jericho was not about the spies. They can conquer Jericho without the work of these spies. It was not about the spies. The trip to Jericho was about Rahab. The trip to Jericho was about grace. It's about the mercy and the glory of God. Faith is often found in the unlikeliest of places, isn't it, beloved? The Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7. The Roman centurion in Matthew 8. The thief on the cross in Luke 23. And here we find it. Here we find it, not just in Jericho, but we find it in what the Bible says in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1, in the house of a prostitute. In the house of a prostitute. The Bible says that Joshua sends these men on this mission and they come to Rahab's house, this house of prostitution. And while they are there, while they are there gathering their information, the Bible says that the spies were discovered. Now Joshua had his men, these two men, and he sent to Jericho to spy out the land. But not only did Joshua has his men, but also the king has his men. And his king has his men, and his men are spread out throughout the city. And no doubt his men are frequenting Rahab's place. No doubt there are many people in Rahab's place. And many of them see these strange men come into this place. And they immediately begin to get suspicious. Joshua has his men. The king of Jericho has his men. Rahab's place is a popular hangout. Strange people come to town. Immediately they know something is up. Immediately they send word to the king. And the Bible says that when the king hears about these men come into Jericho to possibly spy out the land, the king sends word to Rahab to turn the men over. 
But Rahab, instead of turning the men over, Rahab takes the men. She takes the men and she hides them on her roof. When she doesn't turn the men over, the king sends his men to show up to take the spies, looking for the spies. And they begin to question Rahab. And as they question Rahab, Rahab tells them that the two were there, that the men were there, but they are no longer there. They had left in a hurry. And if you two, if you men would hurry, you could possibly catch them before they leave the city. But you must hurry. Beloved, this is high drama. You've seen this movie before. This is high drama. This has it all. This is political intrigue. This is fast-paced action. This is straight out of Jack Ryan and James Bond. You got it all. Prostitutes, spies, kings, leaders, nations, undercover hiding, lies, deception. Makes for a wonderful movie. And after the king's men had left, the Bible says that Rahab goes up on the roof, having secured the safety of the spies. And once she is on the roof, it is then, it is then that we discover the real reason for the trip to Jericho. It is then that we see the real drama happening. For the real drama, beloved, is the drama of redemption. Here we see the real story taking place. For the real story is the story of salvation. It is the story of the salvation of Rahab. It is the drama of the redemption of Rahab. Here we learn and are encouraged by two important things. The fear of God that Rahab had and her faith in the Lord. Here we see the real drama. Here we see the real reason. Here we learn the real story. For a story is about Rahab's fear of God. The story is about Rahab's Faith in God. And we notice Rahab's fear of the Lord, don't we not? Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. But we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan of Sion and Ark, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab 
was moved when she saw and heard these spies. She was moved to help the spies because she feared Yahweh. She feared the God of Israel. She feared the king of Israel more than she feared the king of Jericho. Now, this is the battle. Beloved, this is the battle. This is the battle that Rahab had to fight. This is the battle that you and I have to fight every day. It is the battle between the fear of God and the fear of people. That is the real battle that we fight every day. And I know that is the battle that we fight because given the choice between displeasing God or displeasing our family or our friends, most of us choose displeasing God. Rahab has a choice. Will she, will she fear the king of Jericho? Or will she fear the king of Israel? You know what the Bible says, beloved, in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25, mark it down, put it in memory, write it upon the first page of your Bible if you need to, but it's a passage of Scripture that you should have ready at all times. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, beloved, and I know that it is so easy to get caught up in it. Recently, somebody reminded me that there can be no change unless there is also some loss. You do not change unless you're willing to suffer some loss. What the fear of man does, beloved, the fear of man keeps us from changing into the people that God designs us to be because we are afraid of suffering the loss. The loss of friends the loss of positions, the loss of popularity, financial loss. If Rahab is going to fear the king of Israel rather than the king of Jericho, it might not only cost her financial ruin, it may just cost her life. Her place won't be so popular anymore. But beloved, the fear of man is a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. You see her fear of the Lord. What is the fear of God, beloved? The fear of God is simply this. It is a holy desire 
to live in light of the fact that God is real. That God is real. That God exists. And you and I live our lives knowing that we will have to answer to him. The fear of God is living knowing that God loves you and you don't want to do anything that disappoints or displeases him. That's the fear of the Lord. This is what God calls his people to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12, the Bible says, God says to his people, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? but to fear the Lord your God. And how do you fear him? By walking in all your ways to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It's to live your life before his faith. It's to understand that as you walk, you are seeking to walk in his ways because you love God because he has first loved you. This is where wisdom comes from. This is where right living comes from, beloved. This is how we gain knowledge according to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's a fool who despises wisdom and instruction. You know what marks out fools? You know what marks out sinful hearts and minds? No fear. No fear. A sign of ungodliness in our world, whether it was in Jericho or in Atlanta, it doesn't matter. The sign of ungodliness in this world, even in our lives, is having no fear of God. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 when it's giving a list of what it means to have been caught up in sin, for, for to have the sinful nature to be marked out as sin. It tells us that our feet are swift to shed blood. There is none righteous, no, not one. And then it says in verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Jesus is on the cross. The Bible says that he was crucified between two thieves. And one of the thieves began to mock. One of the thieves began to question who this Jesus really is. And why don't he do something? And you know what the other thief said to him? Luke chapter 23 and verse 40. The Bible says that he rebuked them. And he said, do you not fear God? Have you no idea what is happening here? Have you no idea that judgment is coming? Have you no idea but that you are but a breath away from meeting him before whom you have to give an account? Have you no fear, beloved? 
Rahab did. She feared the Lord. And she feared him because she was fearful of the works of God. See that in verse 10, right? She was fearful of the works of God. Rahab told the spies, we have heard about your God. We have heard about your God. We have saw the news reports. We have read the articles. We have listened to the testimonies. We knew y'all were coming. The testimony of your God has preceded you in this place. We heard about how he brought you out of Egypt. We heard about how he dried up the Red Sea. We heard about how he destroyed the kings of Sion and and Og. Rahab understood, beloved, that there was a battle coming and there would be a winning side. And Rahab determined that she wanted to be on the winning side. Beloved, it is important that you not only know that you are on the winning side, but it is important that you and I Let others know it too. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. That the works of the Lord would precede the spies in Jericho. That the testimony of the glory of God was already working fear in the hearts of people. That it already worked fear in the heart of Rahab. Beloved, listen, don't be afraid. And don't hesitate to rehearse the works of God in your life. Has God done marvelous things for you? Let somebody know it. Has he been wonderful in working his mercies in your life? Tell somebody today. Let them know that the Lord has been good. The world brags on their gods. Why don't we brag on ours? It's what the psalmist said in Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say it. Tell of his marvelous works. The Lord has done great things, the psalmist says in Psalm 126. He has done great things, and we are glad. Tell somebody of the goodness of God. Let them know you're on the winning side. I had, had a friend, and he, wasn't, he was a little more than a friend. He was a roommate, actually, for a brief period. He's a roommate of mine. Nice guy, nice guy. But he had a problem. He was a weekend alcoholic. He'd work all week, and come Friday night, I might not see him. And he's drinking and partying and hanging out, going to strip clubs, hanging out in the streets. Sometimes he'll come in in the middle of the night, and as soon as he get up, he's gone again. Well, that didn't last long. We couldn't live like that. And so I eventually, he eventually moved out, and then I eventually moved down here to Atlanta. A few years later, I get a call. 
He called me. He said, Tony, I just called to let you know what the Lord has done in my life. I called to let you know that the Lord has cleaned me up. I called to let you know that I am serving in the church. I called to let you know that I am married. I called to let you know that the Lord is good, that the Lord has done great and marvelous things. I called to let you know that I'm glad. And beloved, I was glad because indeed the Lord had done great things. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. She feared, she, she feared the works of the Lord, but she didn't just fear the works of the Lord. She feared the name of the Lord. She feared the name of the Lord. When Rahab spoke, she didn't just rehearse the great things that God did, but she also rehearsed his great name. We not only heard about your God, but we also heard his name. His name is Jehovah. His name is Yahweh. She said what God had told Israel to say in a generation previously, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 39. What did God tell them to do? Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord, Yahweh, is God in heaven above and on earth below. And there is no other. That's what Rahab said. We know that your God is God. He is God on earth. He is God in heaven, and there is no other. She testified, beloved, to the uniqueness of God. There is only one God. There is only one God in heaven. There is only one God in earth. In a world, in a city, in a land of pluralism and many gods, Rahab says there is only one God, and he is Yahweh. This is a huge statement, beloved. This is a huge statement coming from this woman because Rahab realized something that is lost on too many of us. Rahab realized this. Rahab realized that judgment was coming, that there was a storm cloud, and it was brewing on the horizon, and that judgment was coming, and there was only one name in heaven, and there was only one name in the earth whereby she could be saved. And that name in the Old Testament, beloved, was Jehovah. Now that name given now in the full revelation of God is the name Jesus. Jesus is Jehovah saves. There is no other name given in heaven or on earth whereby men and women must be saved. There is no other name. There is no other way to fear the Lord is to place your trust in Jesus Christ this morning. 
Judgment is coming. Beloved, there is a storm cloud on the horizon of our lives. God is going to shake the trees, and then he's going to rake the leaves. And when he's done, only those who are trusting in Jesus Christ will stand. There is no other name. There is no other way. There's only one name given in heaven and on earth whereby men and women can be saved. And that is the name Jesus. Jesus. And you need to fear the name. Rahab did. She feared the great works of the Lord. She feared the name of the Lord. And so we are encouraged this morning and we learn from her fear of the Lord. But not only do we see her fear of the Lord, we also bear witness to her faith in the Lord. You see that, don't you? And beginning in verse 15, then speaking of the spies, then she let them down by a rope through the window. For her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, and we're coming, right? We're coming. And when we do come, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house, your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own hand, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. Beloved, Rahab's fear of the Lord, the Bible reminds us here, led to her faith in God. Because that's what godly fear produces. Godly fear produces faith in God. Godly fear doesn't drive you away from God. Godly fear should be driving you toward God, toward God in faith, toward God in repentance. It leads us to trust God more and more and more and more. And how do we know Rahab's fear led to her faith? Well, we see it, first of all, in verse 12. We see it in her plea for mercy, right? We see it in her plea for mercy. Rahab understood something. Rahab understood a very important principle, and the principle is this, is that mercy is a plea for the undeserving. And that's what she did. 
She asked them. She asked them to be merciful. She asked them to be merciful to her. She asked the, the nation of Israel to be kind. She asked them to show kindness, to show loving kindness, to show the mercy of God. She asked them to show chesed. To show that mercy, to show that kindness, to show that love of God, whereby God is compassionate upon the undeserving sinners. She asked and pleaded for the Lord to deal with her according to his covenant faithfulness. This is what God is pleased to do. Remember in Psalms 103 and verse 4, the Bible says, It is the Lord who redeems our life from the pit, who crowns us with steadfast love, who crowns us with chesed and mercy. This is what Rahab is pleading for. Crown my head with steadfast mercy and love. Redeem my life from the pit. But Rahab understood that Jericho was going to be judged not because they didn't deserve it. They were going to be judged because they deserve it. And Rahab pleaded for mercy not because she deserves it, but because she understood she didn't. And that's what mercy is, beloved. Mercy is a plea from the undeserved sinner. Psalm 33 and verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his chesed, who hope in his steadfast love, who put their hope in his mercy. Beloved, there is never a more important or faithful prayer to pray than when you and I pray, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I, 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 don't, I don't care what other, else, what other prayers you are praying, what other prayers you are actually petitioning the Lord for this morning. The most important prayer that you can pray is, Lord, be merciful to me. For whatever you are asking the Lord for, whatever you are seeking the Lord for, whatever you desire the Lord to do for you today, I got news for you. You don't deserve it. Amen. You haven't earned it. Amen. And if he's going to do it, it is because he delights to show his mercy. And therefore, whatever else you ask for, don't forget Lord, be merciful. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I want you to think about that, beloved. I want you to think about that. You know? I know wives who are praying that their husband would turn the page some of his behavior. I got news for you. You don't deserve that. 
I know you think you do. Ah, but when you are righteous and perfect, would you then deserve a perfect partner? I know fathers and mothers are praying that the Lord would bring wayward children home. I got news for you this morning. As difficult as that may sound, you don't deserve that. Perfect parents deserve perfect kids. You praying that the Lord will heal you or someone dear that you love. You don't want to lose them and pray that the Lord would move in a healing mercy upon their life. Praise God for the prayer, but I got news for you this morning. You don't deserve that. Have you transgressed? Have you ever transgressed the Lord's laws? Have you walked perfectly in his ways? Have you loved the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind today? And you call upon him? And whatever else you ask for, beloved, and ask him, ask him, ask him for it all. Ask him for it all. For he is great, and he is good, and he is wonderful. You ask for it all, but don't you neglect to ask him for his mercy. Whatever else you ask for this morning, you ask the Lord to be merciful. To deal with you, not according to your sin, but according to his steadfast love and his covenant faithfulness. You plead for his mercy. Mrs. Rahab, she doesn't deserve to be saved. She doesn't deserve to be spared. She runs a brothel. She lives among pagans. And she knows it. And she says, please, 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 have mercy. Have mercy upon me. Have mercy. And not only, beloved, not only do we see her faith, her plea for mercy, but we also see after this plea of mercy, her obedience of faith. We see her obedience of faith. You know what it says in, in verse is that 18? The men say, Behold, when you come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which we let you down. And then you shall gather your family together, and you shall stay in this house out of which you will hang this scarlet cord. And then it says in verse 21, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied 
the scarlet cord in the window. Rahab, the Bible tells us, is known as a woman of faith because she protected the spies. But even more than protecting the spies, we understand that she is a woman of faith because she trusted in God's word. Now, this is true faith, beloved. This is true faith as we have seen and as we will continue to see as we study Joshua. True faith, as we will see over and over again in Joshua, is not just lip service. True faith is life service. You got to ask yourself this morning, who is ready and who is willing to sacrifice for the Lord? Who is willing to demonstrate their faith through obedience? For there is what the Bible calls in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. It is the obedience that faith produces. How do you know someone has faith? It is that they are walking in obedience to God's word. They are seeking to know the will of God, and then they are seeking to obey it. And the spies told Rahab to put a scarlet red rope in her window. And when they come back to take Jericho, they will see the red rope in her window, and they will spare her and her family. You know what Rahab did? She did what Abraham did. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, the Bible says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Rahab obeyed. There was no reason for her to sit there and try to logically figure out, why would I need to put this red scarlet cord out the window and just hang it out the window until these men come again? Faith, beloved, faith, faith, faith is, faith is solidified. Faith is codified through obedience. Faith is solidified. Faith is testified. Faith is codified through obedience. It is, it is solidified in the waters of baptism. Faith is identified at the Lord's table. Faith is codified by tying a red rope in the window of your heart this morning. I don't think it's coincidence. I don't think it's coincidence at all that these two spies would say, put a red scarlet rope out the window. I don't think it's coincidence. I don't think it's coincidence, particularly when you think about Exodus chapter 12. In verse 7, when God is bringing Israel out of Egypt and, the, and he's coming in judgment in the middle of the night to judge Egypt, and he tells Israel that you are going to be spared the judgment by putting 
the blood, the red blood of a lamb on the doorpost of your home. And then God says in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Spies understood that. The spies knew the testimony of God in bringing his people out of Egypt. The spies knew that when death came to Egypt, death would pass over every home that was covered, the doorposts, in the blood of the Lamb. And they say to Rahab, death is coming to Jericho. Judgment is coming to Jericho. But I got news for you. If you would just hang out this red scarlet rope, and when we see the rope, we will pass. We will pass over you, beloved. I had a question for you this morning. Here's Rahab's faith. Here is when the nation of Israel, when Joshua leads the troops in the Jericho, you know what they're going to see? They're going to see a red scarlet cord rope hanging out of just one of those windows. And when they march into Jericho, they're going to say, there, there is faith. There is faith. You know the Bible, you know what Jesus asked? You know the question Jesus asked in Luke chapter 8 and verse 3? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith upon the earth? When the Son of Man returns, will there be any who have placed the blood of Christ over the doorposts of their hearts? When the Son of Man returns, will there be any who have hung out the scarlet cord out from the windows of their hearts? When the Son of Man returns, will anyone be found faithful? Will you have, will you have that scarlet rope out the window of your heart, beloved? Will the blood of Christ be upon the doorpost of your soul? When, when, when Rahab put that rope out the window, she may as well just change the sign on the building. It's no longer Rahab's place. This now is a place of grace. Now, this place is covered in the blood. This place is now covered in the blood. And I don't know what music they were used to hearing on the jukebox, beloved. But I know now that they were singing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Change had come to Rahab's place. And now, it was a place of grace. It was a place that magnified God's mercy. It was a place, once again, 
testifying to the goodness and the glorious and the marvelous works of God. It was a place where now Rahab was glad. She was glad. You can hear, beloved, I, I am confident. I'm confident. Oh, her clientele dwindled. And anybody came up in there now, all they heard about was the goodness of God and all that the Lord had done for me. The only songs they were singing was the songs of the blood. The only hope they were hearing was the hope of redemption. The only stories they were telling were the stories of salvation. This house, salvation has come to this house. And all those in it will be saved. When the Lord comes, beloved, will he find faith? Will he find that you have indeed the blood of Christ upon the doorposts of your heart? Will he look and see that there's a scarlet red cord hanging from the window of your soul and saying that you belong to him and you are waiting, anticipating his coming again? Oh, I pray that is the portion of everyone here this morning. As we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, and as we sing the glories of our Lord Jesus Christ and redeeming his people, I pray that there is not a soul here this morning who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there is no other name, and there is no other way. Judgment is coming. The Lord is going to return. Will he find faith? in your heart? Will he find faith in your home? Will you be then trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your one and only hope? Oh, I pray you are, beloved. Let's pray this morning.